From Moses, the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, this is the In Her Boots podcast, a show about women cultivating the sustainable and organic agriculture movement and how she does it. My name is Lisa Kiverest, and I founded and lead the award-winning Moses In Her Boots project, providing training, resources, and support for women farmers. I'm a farmer myself, running in serendipity with my family in Wisconsin, and am the author of Soil Sisters, a toolkit for women farmers. The In Her Boots podcast celebrates the collaborative spirit of us women farmers and all women working to transform our food system and steward our land, sharing ideas and inspiration with each other. Whether you're a woman with a dream of starting your own farm or already have your hands deep in the soil, there's something for you here. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss anything. We're starting a new In Her Boots podcast series with F.L. Morris of Grassroots Farm in Monroe, Wisconsin. Today she shares her journey of going from an art degree to her career in organic farming with a dose of inspiration that we don't need to have our whole farming career figured out, but rather take things step by step and follow your heart. F.L. Morris is a first-generation certified organic vegetable and pastured livestock producer running Grassroots Farm in Monroe, Wisconsin. FL is a founding member and president of the South Central Wisconsin Hemp Cooperative, the first organic farmer-led hemp cooperative in the state. We are kicking off a new podcast series for our In Her Boots Moses podcasts, focusing on issues and fabulous stories, inspiring stories of women changing the food system and One of these women I am honored to know as a friend is F.L. Morris of Grassroots Farm. And thank you for sharing your story and for inspiring others in so many things you do. We'll We'll cover a very diversity of ground in the next four episodes, but wanted to start with you and your farm story and how you got to where you are today. Because as I recall, you didn't start in agriculture, right? Or grandma's farm or anything like that. I didn't. I, I consider myself to be a first-generation farmer, although many of us only a couple of generations back have farming in our history. So I do several generations back have farming in my history, but I acquired none of that knowledge directly. So first-generation farmer, born outside of Chicago. Uh, my parents moved us, my sister and I, to Southern California during the big computer boom of the 80s, got jobs in computer with computer companies. And then when my parents divorced when I was 10, uh, my mother took my sister and I up to northern Wisconsin, where we tried to garden. And I remember we got a two inch carrot. And that was our gardening experience. So no gardening experience. Um, From there, I, I took an interest in art. And I ended up graduating college early at 16 and at 16. Mm hmm. Wow. In fine art, you were studying? I Well, art. I mean, did I say college? I meant high school. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I still think oh, you're, you're like, brilliant. Okay. <laughs> Graduated high school at 16, went to a private women's art college in Philadelphia, hit the ground running, really fun time, lots of great connections, but um, didn't feel challenged by the atmosphere. So I transferred to another private art college, also in Philadelphia, that was co-ed and, and even smaller, much more serious. But that's where I basically learned that a career in art wasn't for me because a lot of my graduating classmates were uh, waiting tables or teaching art, and I didn't want to do either. So I did have an interest in woodworking and working with my hands, and I knew that. And so I moved back to the Midwest, and I 
looked all across the country for a woman to apprentice under in the field of cabinet making or, or woodworking, and I couldn't find anyone anywhere. So I was looking for a job, and I found an ad in the Isthmus newspaper in Madison for a vegetable apprenticeship, $300 a month stipend, Stoughton, Wisconsin, unlimited vegetables. And I, I was, I had no exposure to farming, gardening, or even working outside. And for some reason, it just intrigued me. I called up the farmer. We had this connection around um, his partner at the time was working at the Isthmus newspaper as the art director. So we had kind of this art and newspaper connection. I didn't even have a driver's license at that point. I was 18. Hadn't got my driver's license because I didn't need it in Philadelphia. I got my driver's license to start this job because I just had a good connection. I had a good feeling about um, learning a new skill. I knew it was going to be something tactile and, and I could be outside. And that's where it all started. And I look back at my first year farming and I'm like, I didn't know anything. I didn't know what was coming. I didn't know what was behind me. I didn't really understand the economics of farming. I was really excited by um, the access to the fresh vegetables and being able to share the vegetables with my friends and family for free. And just like the excitement around fresh food from CSA farm or CSA members coming to the farm, picking up their produce. Um, it was a social job. It was outside. Um, it was using my body and my whole diet changed. And, and at that point I decided um, I was going to become a vegan. So from that job, I ended up at Sandhill Organics. It was a farm at the time um, run by Matt and Peg Schaefer in uh, Prairie Crossing, Grays Lake, Illinois. And I spent the next three years there having uh, or getting access to an increased role of responsibility around um, larger scale certified organic vegetable production. And during that time, I also got great access to all kinds of Chicago markets. Um, I learned some Spanish. I learned how to manage people. I learned how to drive a tractor. My uh, third year there was pretty much all tractor all the time. It was my dream job. Um, and, dur and during that third year, my mother and I decided to start shopping, quote unquote, around for farmland in Chicagoland, around Milwaukee, around Madison, to try to look for a place for us to land because she has always had a lifelong dream of restoring an old farmhouse, but also has been a gardener her whole life and has a lot of food preservation and kitchen-based um, experience and, and interests. So we found a place on the Rodale Institute's new farm website that was just advertised 40 acres, certifiably organic. Um, I called the number. It said Central Green County. Called the number. We had already looked at on the internet many farms, but nothing was quite right or within our price range. Green, this was back in 2007. Green County was still with, with relatively affordable real, and that's just real south estate, of just Madison, south of Madison live, by yep. an hour. So jumped on that, called the, the number, talked to the owner. He said, go ahead and take a look because he was for sailing it by owner. And my mom and I got in the car 30 minutes later. We were, we were both living near Grays Lake at the time. Drove out to see the land and it was just like, wow, he had 40 a head of cattle, like an inactive dairy herd. And I just had this vision, like, this is a closed farming system. This has flat land. You're in a it's, valley. Yeah. Sort of it's protected. Yeah. yeah. Like I describe it as a three-sided bowl that's cut by two valleys. So there's like one big Southern hump and then two hillsides and tree lines um, that are the peak of those hillsides on the East and West side to the North. It's, it's flat. 
I have about a four acre valley bottom soil piece. And then right at my northern property line, it turns to wetland. So it's really a unique spot. Uh, I have horse farms or like any conventional ag that is, is neighboring to me is basically sloped. The ground is sloped away from my farm. So not only are we protected from drift, but also our nitrates are very low, like really low. Um, just we're like protected little spots. Sometimes people go there and they're like, it feels like I'm being hugged just oh, because of the way that you're in the yeah. valley. Um, but it was a astute place to start your farm too, given all those variables. Yeah. I mean, lots of potential to do different types of ag crops that I didn't have exposure to yet, but I was interested in grazing cattle. I was interested in livestock. I just, I didn't have the experience yet. So I ended up taking a position in Chicago to to work at an urban farm nonprofit doing a job training and urban farm management gig. It was a great experience for six months, but I really was called back to the country, wanted to be closer to my land, which had a lot of thistle on it. I mean, it was basically 40 acres of thistle because it was being mismanaged in terms of grazing um, year round and um, various other factors, lots of thistle. So I moved back to the original farm that I started working at so I could be within an hour of my land, did a year of thistle management. So and what year, when, what are we So that was 2008. About? 2008, okay. So, and then in 2009, I had been working for a homegrown Wisconsin cooperative, which is now uh, no longer around, and also the Yahara River Grocery Co-op. So I was getting connected to the co-op model. I was doing uh, delivery in a, in a straight truck truck of produce to Milwaukee and Chicago. So I was working on this farm, really learning about price points and different markets in a new way through the delivery of, of a large volume of local produce. And I just decided in March, late March 2009, that I was just going to go for it and plant some crops. And I put up a, a greenhouse um, and I realized that Chicago was going to be the market where I could just spend one day off my farm going to sell the produce that I needed to make the whole thing work. And I already had experience in a lot of different markets around Chicago through working for Sandhill Organics. This new market came along in 2009, Andersonville Farmers Market. That was the first year. It's in a queer neighborhood. I thought it's on the north side. I thought, what a better opportunity to get in a neighborhood where I could relate with people, that it's a neighborhood with money, it's a neighborhood that's really focused on local business, um, and I just jumped on it. And it really, having a connection to that good market, even though it was two and a half hours away from my farm, it really propelled my business because I was able to basically sell everything I brought. And it's really important as a beginning farmer to have a market that's flexible right? Not like a CSA, not very flexible. Got to produce the vegetables. People have expectations. At a market, I could bring 100 bunches of beets or 10. It didn't really matter. I mean, it's good to be to work up to being consistent, but ultimately it's a more flexible output of, of vegetables. So that market really supported uh, my expansion. And I did and up, add... Up until that point, was there a pivoty moment where you're like, this is what I want to do? Because it sounds like you went with your gut way back when, right, with that Isthmus ad, and things naturally progressed. You learned more, you took on more, but it wasn't a master plan in the sense of you started at A and you knew where you wanted to be at whatever, B, Z, right? No, but, yeah. but, but it was a lot of intuition in that sense that you were on the right path. 
It was. I. It did take a couple years for me to feel like I want my own farm, and I really did did need the support of my mother in that, um, both financially and just the the support. You know, you can do it. We can do it. You're not in it alone. It was. It's for me. It's the variety of skills that you're constantly developing. We're never done learning. We never really master anything because. There's just no such thing, you know? I mean, weather is this factor that's always changing how we approach. There are There is some new technology, although a lot of the technology we use for this kind of farming is really actually a hundred-year-old technology that's sitting in people's barns, and I can't wait to get my hands on it because it's now relevant in organic farming again. But it, it's like, you got to be a carpenter, you got to be a marketer, you got to be, you have to be social and have social skills to direct market, um, you know, so you have to keep an eye on messaging and um, you're really selling yourself, but you also have to have all these skills. You have to be a great gardener. Um, if you get into livestock, you have to have fencing skills. You have to have guts. There's going to be death, and you have to be able to handle it, work through it, focus more on the life of the animal, not the 30 seconds that is its death. I just loved the, I love to learn. And, and what I realized in farming was this like lifetime opportunity to teach myself new things. That's so I think that was like the real hook. That's a real important point, too, that to thrive in this kind of environment, you need to thrive on challenges, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it really is. It's, which I do. And when I don't have enough challenges, I'll go find some. And I'll get involved in a new project, which is like the story of my life. Like, well, this, and it's not because I feel like I've mastered things. It's just like I've mastered the feelings around the challenge or like I don't you know you do something enough like public speaking you public speak enough it's not so scary anymore but I really enjoy the scary parts and how humbling it is to do something for the first time and you know we're trying to prevent mistakes and a lot of the concept of organic agriculture is around prevention and the more you set yourself up as a preventative farmer really the less challenges you give yourself right? Because you've kind of thought of it. So just as I kind of pace through life and even the CSA is a great model, the CSA can cause beginning farmers, especially a lot of stress because you don't know how to plant to hit your goals until you learn that through experience. And no matter what, a loss of staff, a breakdown of equipment, very short weather windows, any of these things can derail you. But if you have the confidence to think outside of the box. You know your customers. Um, it's it's not the end of the world. You can always source food from someone else. You can be a good communicator. You know, but getting to this point with CSA where I wasn't as stressed out and I'm like, I got this. It just made me want to add a bunch of things to my CSA just to complicate it. It's, you've done a variety of things. I mean, in running your own farm, right? I mean, you did the mm-hmm. market sales. You have done CSA. Yep. Yeah. You've done vegetables. Meat. Yeah. I mean, what haven't you done? So, yeah, I mean, I I basically kept adding on a new enterprise each year to try to hit this goal of the the whole farm CSA. And it wasn't, I wasn't calling it that at that that time. I know that's kind of a, a buzzword in some parts of the country around this whole diet CSA where you provide everything. But that's essentially what I was doing. And I was also realizing that I could use my distribution that I was already doing to Chicago, you know, a neighborhood with. 80,000 people in it that is still just in Chicago. Um, I could use my distribution channels to uh, market my friends' local food products as well. 
So I started off with like a 20 member CSA. I think I grow, grew to 40 and then maybe 60. And then I peaked at an 80 member CSA. And during that time, I also had uh, an egg share, a bread share, a storage food share. So that was like uh, Andy Hazard, Hazard Free Farms grain, and it was pickled and canned stuff and, and other local product granolas. I had a specialty vegetable share, which was an add-on that people who were really interested in like culinary experimentation or more into like uh, rare exotic herbs or vegetables could add that on, whereas the base share was, was more your recognizable and uh, more common vegetables. Uh, so in, I, I also realized that by marketing produce for six months of the year, there was an income gap, right? Because after a certain point, I didn't have anything to sell at farmer's market. My CSA was over. And that's when I started raising mixed livestock and brought in um, sheep. I pastured cattle. I had meat, chickens. I did turkeys. I did geese. I did eggs. Um, I did. I mention lamb. I did it all. <laughs> um, and I brought everyone to the butcher at federally inspected processing plants. And then by November, at the so at the end of the season, vegetables were done. Uh, Thanksgiving share was, was delivered with a turkey. Then I would sign up about 20 meat share members and do a farmer's choice mixed meat share um, and sell it for 500 bucks. So that brought in another essentially you know 20,000 bucks for me to then just do the delivery of the frozen meat and the fresh eggs to my customers over the winter. So that really filled that gap in income that I hadn't been able to figure out before. Excellent. Well, hold that thought because we will continue in our next episode on some changes and some new things to your point about challenges that have come up and are still thriving. So terrific. Thanks, FL. Thanks for listening to our In Her Boots podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Kiverest with the Moses In Her Boots project. This episode's audio engineer was Liam Kiverest of TechSocket.net. The podcast was brought to you by the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, MOSES. The mission of MOSES is to educate, inspire, and empower farmers to thrive in a sustainable organic system of agriculture. For more information on MOSES, in her boots, and a bounty of organic resources, check out mosesorganic.org. <laughs>